Welcome to Takeaways, Life Lessons Learned. I'm your host, Hayam Mizrahi. Join me as I explore my takeaways from the people who have influenced me the most. Let's get started. Hello, fans of Takeaways. Here is another NAOP Southern Nevada program recap, and this will be the last NAOP recap of the year because October is the last NAOP breakfast of the year. NAOP is the Association for the Commercial Real Estate Development Industry, and the October program was titled Las Vegas Bets Big and Wins on Sports, Entertainment, and Tourism. This was another fireside chat. It was between Steve Hill, CEO and president of the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority, and Steve Niger, retail broker extraordinaire at Collier's. He is also the NAOP Government Affairs Chair and also on the NAOP Board of Directors. The program sponsor was Dermody Properties. So big way to end the year, talking about Las Vegas' big bets. Steve and Steve covered a lot of ground in this program. Uh, from F1, from the Boring Company, they talked about the other sports that are here, the ones that are coming. Of course, they talked about tourism, uh, all of it. There's a lot in here. You know, right now we're at the end of the year, end of 2023. There's a ton of turmoil happening around the world, a lot of uncertainty. But what's clear is that we have a lot going on here in this little old gaming town out west that we call Las Vegas, which as you will hear, isn't just a little old gaming town anymore. All right, I'm going to go away. You're going to hear applause, and then you will hear the full program from the NAOP October Breakfast, a Q&A with Steve Hill of the LVCVA. Enjoy. Um, before you start, let me tell a quick story. Please. Um, what Henry didn't say in my bio was completely fine. But it ties into uh, Dermody Properties being sponsored today and my appreciation for the work that you all do. Um, back in the 90s, I decided I was going to get into the development business. And I knew Michael Dermody. Uh, I called him and said, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help me out? And Michael was, and he's just the kind of guy he is, was nice enough to spend about a day and a half with me explaining how to think about all the work that you do and how you do the math around it and how you make the projects. That's all. I needed more than a day and a half, as it turns out. Um, but they ended up building a great commerce center, which uh, partially kind of bought in Schnitzer. So um, it kind of ties into uh, the breakfast theme today. So I have a very deep appreciation for how difficult it is for what all of you do, um, and have been uh, thrilled to be able to work with you over the years. So thanks for having me. You. Uh... <laughs> you didn't mention Silver State Materials. You built the company, sold it, uh, were appointed to go in, and then took over LVCBA. And uh, I, I think I think it's it's worth noting that uh, everyone in this room kind of identifies with everything that you've done in the last 15 years, which is really being an ambassador. There's something like that. And we just talked to different crowds. Uh, but we're always pitching something about it, and we're always pitching it to folks that don't really know much about it. So uh, I think you'll always have friends in this room, and I appreciate you being here. Um, 
you've been a very busy man, and I'm actually very grateful that you have some downtime over the next six months so that you can sit and take it easy. I wanted to talk about, uh, we'll, we'll do some good updates of what's happening in the next six months, you know, more Gill. Um, we'll touch on sports, we'll touch on conventions, and we'll touch on transportation, interestingly. So, um, first off, um, let's talk about the big deals, and I know the big deals because the RJ tells me so. Um, F1, what do, you, uh, what do you tell folks when you're trying to explain to them why it's such a big deal for us? Well, and I've said this a, a number of times, um, Formula One in Las Vegas will be the biggest event in the world in 2023. Uh, there is nothing like it. And not only is the event great uh, for Las Vegas, it will ensure that we have the best November we have ever had uh, in the city. It may be big enough that it will ensure we have the biggest quarter that we have ever had. We're having it on a weekend that used to be the second toughest weekend attempt. And so the difference between going from the 51st best weekend to the best weekend ever, um, you know, changes um, you know, everything about that week and that month uh, for the city. Um, you know, it's going to bring in $100 million or so of tax revenue that just provides services, K through 12 education, higher education, health care. Uh, it's kind of tough to connect some of those dots when you're sitting in traffic that we helped us. Um, I get that. Um, but um, the first year is going to be the toughest. Uh, it will get better from here. Uh, and the spotlight that will be on Las Vegas just can't, frankly, be matched, particularly from an international uh, viewership standpoint. I mean, there will be 100 million people plus around the globe watching the spectacle of Formula One cars coming down on the face Boulevard. It's just not something that is repeatable. You said $100 million is tied to a million. Uh, there, there's a much larger number that when you talk about economic impact, right? Right. What is that number? Yeah, that number is about $1.3 billion. Uh, and, and so that, that $1.3 billion is the economic impact, the $100 million is the fiscal impact. Um, and the economic impact is the incremental difference between what that weekend would have been without Formula One and what it is with it. It does not include uh, the revenue that Formula One itself will generate. That is the revenue that will be spent in the city and kept in the city. Okay. Um, <laughs> you mentioned the traffic, and I'm sure that we're going to hear about that for a long time to come. Um, Cash will come. We'll try to keep the keep the comments from you. Um, I, I remember because it took me an hour to get the top off the window night. I don't need to hear these stories. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it speaks to um, the bigger issue in terms of cooperation between the private and public sector and cooperation from the LVCEA to NDOT to Clark County. Um, I, I wrote this question down. Is this the largest undertaking in the history of Nevada in terms of cooperation between uh, the public and private sectors of construction. Well, I, I want to again recognize our, the chair of our board. You recognize the chair of the county commission, uh, Commissioner Gibson, is also the chair of the LBCBA. Commissioner Nath is also a member of our board. So I feel a little bit like I've got mom and dad. <laughs> um, 
I think they would agree that this is probably the most difficult thing that we have ever done in, in Clark County. Um, and the partnership that we have with the county and with our resort partners uh, is, is something that has been a part of this community for so long time. And we've, they've all built you know, everything up and down the strip. And the fact that we work so well together, that we know each other, you know, we don't have to introduce each other when we say, hey, we've got a project that we need to do. Uh, that really matters. It allows us to take on these kind of undertakings and get them done. Uh, what's, what's happened around Formula One has been pretty remarkable. We just announced the race on March 30th of 2022. So inside of 18 months, we're going to go from having nothing at all um, and having to start the design work to having a race. And that is um, something that countless people have worked on, and it, it, it has been hard. Uh, and, and there's no, there's no pushing back the date. You gotta get back. Uh, so I, I think we should all commend everybody in this room that has made up what happened because uh, I can't imagine the, just the extent of it is, it is overwhelming. So I appreciate everybody in this room that made it happen. Um, so are we, do we want to go? Are we? Ten levels past that. You know, we talk about ourselves um, as a category of one. There, there is, there was no place like Las Vegas five years ago, but there is really no place now. Uh, and what we're trying to accomplish is uh, create further separation, so that people think about Las Vegas and then they think about every place else. Um, Monaco is a great. I've never been to Monaco. I'm sure Monaco is a great place. There are a number of great places. You can have these events um, around the world. Um, the Super Bowl is a great game in Phoenix or LA in the last couple of years. But what Las Vegas brings to an event or, or brings to a show, as you talked about earlier, you've got 1,500 people going to Seattle. You're going to have 3,000 people coming to Vegas because people want to come to Vegas. There's more attendance when you have an event in Las Vegas, and the experience around the event is so much uh, more rich. It's so much more intense. Um, you have the opportunity to do three, four, five things in that day rather than just that event. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what sets Las Vegas apart, uh, and we're just trying to, to make that separation greater. Yeah. Um, Fountain Blue, let's, let's jump to hotels real quick. Um, aside from it being maybe the longest construction project in the history of Nevada. I, I'm uh, glad it is now, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's fantastic that it's open. But we have another massive hotel room coming online. So... Is, is it a big deal because it's a hotel? Is it a big deal because it's adjacent to the convention center? Why is Fountain Blue such a big deal for us? Well, um, in and of itself, it's a great project. It's a yeah. beautiful facility. Uh, and that's you know, having new properties, new offerings, which we've got a lot of right now. But just, you know, when I started at the LVCVA in 2018, there was uh, fatigue around um, parking fees, resort fees, and the fact that we hadn't opened anything in a decade. Mm -hmm. And it was, uh, you know, we're paying more for the same thing. Well, that's certainly not the case now. And you've stopped hearing about that fatigue as well. So when we open those new uh, venues or properties, um, that really helps continue to provide a reason for our fans to, to come back. 
And so having them open is great. The fact that there was a 60-story kind of hulking, blue, empty structure um, in our city next to the convention center, the difference between going from that to having that building open mm -hmm. is really a bigger deal than just, hey, starting from scratch four years ago and building a building, too. Um, so uh, the fact that that didn't um, devolve into a decaying structure um, is really matters a lot. Um, and then the, the connection to the convention center has been uh, really attractive to our customers. Uh, it's, you know, we have not had um, as near, nearly as much connection as we have now. Uh, and the fact that it's a walkable facility, that it is complementary of what we do, uh, is, is going to be beneficial too. Um. I was going to ask this in the in the convention part, but because Fountain Blue is coming online, hotel rooms. I know that uh, beds, quantity of beds, is a very important uh, part of the equation when it comes to tourism and and that sales pitch when we're competing um, from the convention side. Um, once Fountain Blue is online, where where do we stand uh, in terms of how many rooms are available to the facilities we have? Because I was in Nashville a few months ago and. Uh, we paid $1,000 a night for a hut because of one single concert at a football stadium. <laughs> yeah. um, well, when the Fountain Blue opens, we will be at about 156,000 rooms in Las Vegas. Um, that is the most rooms of any city in the United States by 25 or 30,000. Um, there are, I think, four cities around the world that have either approximately the same number or some more, but you know, three are in China and then Dubai. Um, so you know, we lead the United States in, in that category and it's important for us. Um, and frankly, you know, as all of you know, um, for a city to remain vibrant, uh, for an industry to remain vibrant, it needs to grow at at least a reasonable pace. And so, you know, a part of our job typically is, uh, you know, kind of the slang is heads and beds. Um, but what we're really trying to do is drive demand uh, for Las Vegas to the point that it allows projects to pencil. Because it's hard now. Um, you know, Tillman Fertitta is going to, you know, build uh, from the ground up. You know, that project, you know, Resorts World was a million and a quarter a key. If you're going to build a competitive property now, it's going to be a million and a half, a million seven, a key. Um, you're going to need real demand for the entire suite of your offerings uh, in order to make a project like that work. You need 88% occupancy. You need room rates that support it. Uh, and that is what we feel our job is. <laughs> a million seven a key. <laughs> I'll, I'll remember that for the rest of my life. Now, Tillman may get it done <laughs> less expensively than that. I don't know. But, you know, if you projected Resorts World at this point, that's about what you'd get. Got to. it. Um, Super Bowl, uh, another not so big deal. Um, I would like it to be here every year. I don't know if we can do that, but what? what why is Super Bowl a big deal? And, and, I mean, can we, how often can we get it here? <laughs> Well, we, we've said out loud that our goal is for the NFL to want to be here every year. Uh, we want to do that kind of job on this Super Bowl that they're you know, disappointed 
frankly, when they have to go someplace else, they're going to have to go a few other cities periodically, I think. Um, they, they did say recently that we would be in the rotation. Um, you know, and that rotation is six or seven cities, and then they'll plug an additional one into that periodically. So, you know, we'd like them back in four or five years. Um, it's probably an every six or seven year cycle okay. kind of thing. Uh, but we know that we're going to knock their socks off. Um, and, you know, the host committee, just want to give a shout out to them because it is a, a cross section of our community that has come together to make that event great. And they are doing a fantastic yeah. job. They, they really are. The NFL's impressed, uh, even more impressed than they knew they were going to be coming in. And um, rightfully so, the host committee has just done a fantastic job. Yep. I have heard that. I've seen it. I've witnessed it. It's, it's fantastic. Um, Oakland A's and then NBA. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you know baseball, uh, you can respect this question. We're sure they're coming. Yes? They are. Okay. <laughs> Is that a question? Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. No, they are com completely committed Hope to coming. For confirmation, yeah. I think. No, in, in fact, you know, you may have seen that yesterday we had the first stadium authority meeting with the A's there. We introduced the lease and the community benefit agreement drafts um, so that, you know, public and the county commission and others could start to um, provide input on that. But uh, we anticipate uh, a vote for Major League Baseball. Um, really during the Formula One okay. practice um, date okay. on November 16th uh, and hope that um, Major League Baseball will uh, authorize that move and then it's full speed ahead. Okay. And Tropicana, pretty confident as well? Yes. Yeah. Okay. The, the, in fact, the legislation um, requires that the site be there at okay. the Tropicana. Good to know. Um, and then this question, I suppose it's uh, for the A's and also transitioning into the NBA question. Um, between the Raiders and the Knights, were there lessons learned during the, the entire process? Because it's really a negotiation of multiple things, right? You're, you, you've got to build a building in addition to get the, get the league to let them be here. So is that, a, is that a learning curve that we just got better every time or it's pretty much a unique process every time because the leagues are so different? Well, uh, the process with the Knights was completely different than the process with the Raiders. I mean, Bill Foley on his own said, I'm going to move to Las Vegas. He reached out into the community, uh, got support for that, and the community certainly supported it. I think people, some of the people who supported it, and not say I was probably one of them, were not certain that it would work uh, at the time. Um, but he, you know, they've just done such a fantastic job of moving into the community and being successful, being integrated, uh, and showing what Las Vegas can do for a professional sports franchise that it's really helped pave the way for others. They, they've seen the success and want to be a part of it. Um, the Raiders obviously had a big public contribution to Allegiant Stadium, uh, and it's what it takes in order to get a football stadium uh, in a mid-sized market. Um, and I'll just tell this real quickly, but um, if you compare it to Levi Stadium in San Francisco, which was built almost solely with uh, private money, um, there, the, there are twice as many suites uh, in Levi Stadium that sell for twice as much as what they sell at Allegiant Stadium. That difference is about $50 million a year in revenue for the 49ers. Mm -hmm. You can bond about 15 times annual revenue on something. 
That's the $750 million. That's really where that number comes from. Um, that difference in a large city that has a big, huge corporate base and can buy all those suites at a higher price doesn't exist here. Um, and it's why mid-market cities have to provide some level of contribution in order to have professional sports team at a competitive level. Um, the other is, and there's you know difference between Major League Baseball and, and the NFL, um, national media rights are split evenly through teams in the NFL. In baseball, hockey, basketball, um, there are still regional sports networks. Um, so for example, you know, the Dodgers have a regional sports network media contract that's $120, $125 million. We will have the smallest um, regional sports network for baseball of any major league city. Um, that contract's probably in the 40 or $50 million range. That difference every year matters to a team being competitive as well. That's um, why there, you know, some portion of public funding is necessary uh, for those, those two leagues. Um, the stadium being in Las Vegas uh, is going to be great because it brings the A's, but it also is something that we know uh, is important for other events. Uh, and those other events are going to matter uh, from an economic generation, a job generation, a tax revenue generation, um, really at, at kind of a par with baseball. Okay. Um, you mentioned the suites in, the, in that differential. Uh, that's a totally different metric from uh, ticket revenue, right? Right. Because uh, I, we actually use this, um, this data in one of our marketing packages for Las Vegas Boulevard. If you look at ticket sale revenue on an annual basis, the Raiders are number one in the NFL, and number two is significantly below that. Um, and that happened when they came to Las Vegas. Um, and I'll, I'll, I'll ask a question about that later, but that, I think that that is a big deal. And it proves up a lot of stuff that nobody believed in us. We're a middle market. We're, we're just a you know, gambling town. So. Certainly, the, you know, the NFL had concerns, uh, you know, Bo and UNLV were really helpful in explaining um, what they thought the landscape would be. That's turned out to be even better than what they presented at the time. But you know, you can see the value of the Raiders um, after having moved here. They, you know, they moved here. They were valued at a billion dollars, and uh, five years later, they're at six. Um, and it's what uh, Las Vegas does uh, for these teams and events. And it's it's just. Uh, fantastic synergy that it is to the benefit of everybody involved. Yep, yep, yep. We see it. Um, the NBA, uh, I'm sure you were there at the most recent Las Vegas perspective. The CEO was up on stage and, and told everybody with a very stern tone that we don't need anybody's money. <laughs> I'm going to build it. I've known the NBA for a long time, and the thing about them is you got to build it, and then they'll come. Um, that's, I think we all believe him, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that's way out South Las Vegas Boulevard, right? Yeah. Does that, do you, does the community see that still being the same story in terms of what happened with the Raiders and ticket sale revenue? Um, it, is it the same story, even though it's so far away from the core of the strip? Well, it's not that far away. <laughs> It's one, it's one bus ride. Yeah, it's one bus ride. Fair, fair, fair. It's two or three miles. Like a lot of for me. <laughs> Look, I, I've said this before. Tim Lywicki, who owns the Oakview Group, um, 
that is going to build the arena there and a development around it, uh, it may be the smartest person in this field in the United States. Um, he is an exceptional guy. When he says something a good idea, you better think twice about disagreeing with him. Um, he knows what a good idea is and what isn't. His, his experience is in all of the fields that kind of lead up to this. He used to run AEG. He's built arenas around the country. Um, he's operating, you know, some of Arkham, he just took over the operations at the McCormick Center in Chicago. Um, it, it's a remarkable company. Uh, we're fortunate to have him here. Um, and I, I appreciate his statement about uh, not needing public money. I've also said this publicly, and it's not you know, my decision to make, um, but I wouldn't uh, recommend public money be put into a competitive arena. We've got T-Mobile, we have you know, other arenas in town. Um, we've got one here. Um, that, um, I think, is a mistake to do. Uh, when you have a kind of a single singular type facility, we're not going to have a competitive NFL stadium. We are not going to have a competitive Major League Baseball park. Um, but we have competitive arenas. And so if somebody wants to build another arena, I, I don't think it's appropriate at that point uh, for public money to be put into it. Um, so I'm glad he's willing to do it um, on his own, and I think it'll be successful. He said, I think it was six or seven, he said, we built six or seven arenas around the world during COVID. You know how much anybody else in the world built? Zero. <laughs> and we, we built a football stadium. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, you just said don't disagree with him. Yeah, so. okay, okay. Good point. And this good is point. recorded, so, <laughs> so I, I'm going to stay away from I, I wasn't disagreeing with him. He, he built all the arenas. <laughs> But uh, it really kind of communicated that there is it's it's not a it's not a large field. It's not a lot of players in that game. Yeah, he's great. Um, we already asked the hotel rooms question. We don't know what the names are going to be for the NBA team. No, we don't. They haven't asked me my opinion of that yet. <laughs> yeah, no. All right, I had to ask. I I, I love expansion teams. Um, so. I don't know how old this title is, but it's. I'm born and raised here. My family's been here a long time. Um, we are now calling ourselves, uh, I think rightly so, the sports and entertainment capital of the world. I think we've all talked about entertainment capital of the world for quite some time, but we have now proved up that uh, we are a different place for sports altogether, and the ticket sale revenue speaks to that. Um, I mean, really, we've become... For, we're a town for, uh, we've created sports events as a vacation destination, right? And has that changed the entire sports world view of Las Vegas? Is it a case-by-case -case basis with different sports? Um, and was it a proof of concept that nobody knew it was going to be a proof of concept for? Yeah, I, I think it's not only changed um, the view that the entire sports world has of Las Vegas, um, at some level, it has caused some sports to just start thinking about Las Vegas. Um, but it has changed the brand um, for the city. And I, it, you know, I, when we market, uh, there's about a quarter of the population that really doesn't have much interest in listening to what we have to say or coming to Las Vegas. And because of sports, 
Um, really for two reasons. One is that, you know, when the NFL says you're okay and when Major League Baseball says you're okay and the NHL says you're okay, people change, start to change their mind about uh, the city. We have matured. And the offerings we have are broad. You can get everything you could get 20 and 40 years ago, but we've added to that. Um, but the other thing that happens is, you know, if you're an Atlanta Falcons fan and you're not necessarily thinking about Las Vegas, when they play the Raiders, it's caused people who wouldn't necessarily otherwise consider coming to come. And once they experience what we have here, they want to come back. And being able to uh, kind of eat into that 25% um, is a really valuable thing because there's not many things that will allow you to do that in sports. Sports and the, the, the big live entertainment are the two things that we've seen that, that really cause folks to reconsider. So that's actually a great segue into a little uh, story that I have that leads into a question for you. Um, I have a friend, started out as a client, uh, now a very good friend, owned a bunch of sandwich shops, national brand, owned a bunch of sandwich shops in town, um, and wanted to do a drive-through. And they had just created this drive-through committee for the brand nationwide, and we did it. He, he did it very well, and uh, we, he was ready for the next door, and he told me, hey, I'm ready for my next door, let's go. And he said, but I will never not do a drive-through again. And obviously, you hear that, you think, well, you're making more money with the drive-through, that makes sense. But I said, well, come on, man, you know, you're a sandwich shop. We, we, that's, a hard, that's a hard field to compete in. There are a lot of you know, drive-throughs that make a lot of money out there. And he said, the reason is I get customers in my drive-through that I've never seen before that have never come into my store. It's a whole new base or a whole new group of folks that have never come to my shops before, whether it's women with children in the car seats in the back or somebody with uh, a physical handicap that it's really hard to get out of their car. And he said, that's why guaranteed I will never ever not do a drive-through again because my base has expanded. And when it comes to heads and beds, which is what, that's the mission, right? Um, that's really what you try to do is figure out how you get people that have never been here before that are, are in groups that have no reason to come here and get them to come here. So sports has obviously done that um, to a big extent. Is there anything else? Is sports sort of the final frontier of cracking into that 25%? I, I want to recognize Kate Wick, who's our chief marketing officer. She's, she should answer this question. She's the brains behind all this. <laughs> okay. um, it, you know, we don't think it's the final frontier. Uh, it is um, really what is making a difference right now. Yeah. Um, you know, people ask me a lot, what's next in Las Vegas? And my answer to that is virtually always the same. And I've had the opportunity to be involved with um, all kinds of different fantastic events and projects none of which have been my idea. I mean, <laughs> we're, we're all here to facilitate those, you know? Um, and so I don't really know what's next, but I know that sports has a pretty long run to long go run. Uh, in Las Vegas. It is making a huge difference. Um, the live entertainment that we are bringing to this town, I mean, you know, you look at what you can do over a weekend or on any given night in Las Vegas, it's remarkable. Yeah. Um, and that has got legs. And so, you know, we've got, you know, some unknown amount of time where we're going to ride that wave um, and it's working great. Sounds like a couple few decades. Yeah, I so hope so. F1's a big one, right? Same sure. story. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. Somebody, uh, one of our members said a while back that um, 
you have no idea the amount of billionaires who have never wanted to come to Vegas before who are going to be in Vegas. So uh, that really speaks to the same story. Um, let's, let's hop over to conventions. We're at 9 o'clock. I think we're trying to get to Q&A by 9.10, 9.15. How are we doing on that? Um, in the post-COVID world, are we back to pre-COVID sort of um, attendance and industry sentiment? Yeah, we really are. Uh, you know, in 2019, we had 6.6 .6 million visitors here who were here because of a meeting or a trade show. Um, we're going to be approximately at that number uh, this year. Uh, we will clear it next year for sure. Um, our goal at this point is not just to get back to where we were in 2019, because during the pandemic, we added three and a half million net square feet of space to the 11 and a half million that we had in Las Vegas. So our goal at this point is 8.3 million visitors. Um, you know, it's just proportional to square footage. Um, one of the interesting issues there though is that leisure travelers have performed so strongly over the, since, you know, the, during the recovery from COVID that they're actually providing competition to meeting visitors during the week. Mm -hmm. um, and so, finding room blocks, and this is kind of back to, we're trying to drive demand and it's working. Um, finding room blocks for meetings uh, has become somewhat more difficult because leisure travelers are so enamored with Las Vegas and coming back. Um, we, I mean, it's a competition, right? I, I think it's Orlando, it's Chicago, or those are two primary competitors in the convention field. They're, they're the largest, yes, right. yeah. And how, in terms of rate and available space, how do we pair up to them? Are we, you know, kind of in line? Yeah, once our renovation is complete, um, the McCormick Center's 2.6 million square net square feet. Ours is, you know, 2.55 million net square feet, so they're roughly the same. Um, Orlando's about 2.1 million square feet. Um, and, you know, there's some amount of competition, uh, but those shows are huge. They need to go where they need to go. Once they're there, they don't often move. Uh, they do every now and then. Um, it is really the development of new shows, the, the growth that comes in the industry that we're after. We're not, it's, it's not that we wouldn't take a show from Chicago or Orlando, and that happens every now and then, but um, our show growth is really um, new shows that are okay. being developed and then grow from there. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Um, and that's really, you know, I assume that with huge innovations in our worlds come new, new conventions, right? Is, do you guys view the convention industry as sort of a, a stable, mature uh, industry that just has stable growth for indefinitely? No. Uh, well, I, I think it will continue to grow. Um, it, you know, it's very industry sector centric. Um, and so you'll see ups and downs. You'll see, you know, you're going to start to see a bunch of AI shows. You know, you've got an AI conference coming up. AI is a big topic. Show organizers, you know, there are professional show organizers out there. And then there are associations that own shows. Those are really the two most common business models. But, you know, the professional show organizers are big publicly traded companies. And so they just pay attention to different industries, develop expertise in those areas, and then start shows. Uh, and, um, and then they'll geographically clone those shows. They'll do one in, in the Western Hemisphere, they'll do one in Asia, and they'll do one in Europe. Um, and so what we're trying to do is develop relationships with those show organizers so that when they start a show, they think about starting it in Las Vegas. Um, when there is value in the show, they grow. Um, when the industry starts to deteriorate, 
Uh, if the show's not providing value, then that show will start to shrink. Um, retail lately has been tough, uh, just like the retail industry has had some right. difficult times. Um, so it, it's very industry, the answer to that question is very industry centric. Do, do we ever have a crypto convention? Well, yeah, no, we've had crypto have conventions, we? sure. And that's still okay? <laughs> we're, we're, if they're paying rent and they're in rooms, it's okay That's with me. <laughs> That's how we get there. Um, so I, I was looking at the LVCVA's website, and one of the primary tabs up top is transportation. And in our room, in our industry, we're used to the RTC. We're used to and not. We're used to those conversations, and we're used to building you know, roads and sidewalks and, and that whole process, right? Um, you have a totally different take and the LVCVA clearly putting that as a tab on the website is a huge priority. Do you, is it a co-op? Are you doing your own thing? How does it work when we're talking about transportation? Because obviously everybody in this room thinks about the boring company. Mm -hmm. um, uh, is there, is it more than that? And it, is this a, do you cooperate with NDOT and RTC on broader goals for the community? Sure. Um, and that really starts with the county. Um, you know, that, that partnership, matters a lot um, and that's you know, with respect to the monorail as well as the, as the boring company um, we do see the boring company as one of the solutions for the traffic around formula one uh, it, it's a it's a natural you know you, you get some tunnels that provide access in and out of the circuit and you're going to start to see a real difference in uh, the impact that the race has on this community and you know we think that's possible in the next year or two uh, to start having that kind of uh, input and um, supply um, you know for workers as, as well as attendees at the event um, you know we, we bought the monorail a couple of years ago uh, when we turned, bought it turned it profitable yeah it is profitable enough right now that we're trying to extend its life uh, awesome yeah we we are going to have you know we made five and a half million dollars last year on a net $20 million investment, and it will be reasonably higher than that this year. Um, so yeah, and it, it's an important transportation vehicle at this point too. We're gonna move 5.2 million people on it. We certainly don't wanna put those folks back on the road. Right. Um, so yeah, we are now looking at at least getting to the end of the life of the trains. You know, the trains, six years ago would have cost $220 million to replace. And we, that, that is not going to make financial sense. Um, but to the extent that we can extend the, the life of the trains in the system, we will attempt to do that. Okay. Um, I, I've heard a lot of different deal structures. That we, uh, I, I work with uh, some folks that own property in Chinatown and I've seen, you know, maps where the loop even stops in Chinatown and it's a it's a beautiful map it's a very exciting map um, what what is the timeline right now when do we think that that loop that that map is done well I don't know it, it kind of depends on which map you're looking at at but, this point the original map was uh, 28 miles of tunnel okay uh, what is what currently has land use permits is 68 miles Wow. Um, so, you know, the, that planning continues uh, to grow. Um, we, you know, we did the, you know, what is an important transportation system under our campus, but it was also a demonstration project uh, for the system that has worked exceptionally well. Um, we're connected to Resorts World. We're connected to Westgate, although the tunnel and the station are not 
quite complete yet. We're connected to Win and Encore uh, with a, the first tunnel there. It's not complete. It'll open in the spring, um, and uh, we are you know we are working through plans for uh, a additional submittals for building permits. Um, so one's in the city from Stratosphere down to uh, Fremont Street, um, and then connecting the Stratosphere to the system there at the convention center. Uh, another is uh, running from the convention center south on University down to Thomas and Mack over on Tropicana to the Tropicana, and then at some point, it's not certainly submitted yet, but uh, down to Russell, over to Mandalay Bay, and over to the stadium. Um, that those hopefully you know start moving you know relatively soon. Um, and then we've recently, you know, just in the last number of weeks, um, started looking pretty hard at what we can do quickly um, around the Formula One circuit. Uh, it's the need is there. Um, that opportunity for solution is uh, pretty evident. Um, there's a couple of routes that could be done um, soon. Uh, you know, it's maybe, maybe by next race if we can move that quickly. Um, just anything that would help there um, would be really beneficial. So, um, you know, obviously the partnership we have with the county on that, we'll work with them on that to see if that's possible. Um, but soon, uh, that, that will help uh, that traffic around Formula One. Yeah. Um, I realized I, I failed miserably by not prompting Q&A, and uh, if you had Q&A. You have it's... really great questions, Steve, so it's A-okay. So we'll wonderful. try to get a few in quickly. We have a ton from the audience. One is, what happens to the paddock at F1 the other 11 months of the year? They, they um, will activate uh, that site. Um, they don't. They haven't completely decided uh, what the entire 40-acre facility will look like, uh, but that paddock building is set up where you know customers in our building, customers who are here for meetings, um, that that paddock area will be available for that. Um, I, I'm sure that um, you know they will um, allow or facilitate um, meetings and demonstrations for the automotive industry. Um, there's been a lot of uh, interest expressed from car companies throughout the world to to be there. Um, I mean, we've looked at some pretty interesting things. This isn't going to happen, but for example, um, we looked at doing the uh, outdoor annual NHL uh, outdoor game there at the paddock. It, it doesn't work. I mean, but you know, we're, we're expanding the horizon of, um, you know, at least what we're thinking about there. Are, is anybody worried about 82 baseball games a year in Las Vegas? No, because if you have 82, the, the 82nd one would be a playoff game. So we'd be pretty happy about that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, <laughs> Touche. Yeah. Major League Soccer? Um, you know, for, the, for the, the reasons that I talked about earlier, Major League Soccer is a tough thing to make work in Las Vegas right now. It's a tough thing, frankly, from a profitability standpoint uh, for the league. They had a team... Um, make money for the first time recently, um, and it's a, in a big market uh, with a facility that was already built. Um, building a standalone stadium, being a small market team, um, I think sooner or later this works. Um, but it, it's of the five, you know, major professional sports leagues, um, I think that's the toughest right now.
impact of the sphere? It, um, I don't know if you've all been to the sphere, but if you have not been, you just really need to go. It is everything you could hope it would be and more. Um, it, it was hard for that place to live up to the hype, and it did. Um, it's, it's an amazing experience. The, the, the visuals, the audio are just, you know, they're, they're very hard to describe, but it's symphony hall quality with 18,000 people there. Um, th there aren't too many things that um, that one thing is the reason somebody will come to Las Vegas for it. Uh, there are, um, you know, most people come because they're going to have a great weekend or they're going to have a great week or they're coming maybe for a show. So, I mean, a trade show. Um, but from a leisure perspective, the sphere is a draw to Las Vegas in and of itself. Um, and it is one of the best marketing opportunities you can find because everything you put up there goes viral. And so costs a fair amount to advertise on the sphere, but the coverage that you get in earned media is just unbeatable at this point. Um, that combination of things makes the sphere just a fantastic addition to the city. There was a lot of sphere questions. Is, can they do their own conventions there? Are they competing with you? Sure. No, no, I, and, you know, our perspective really from our building standpoint is we'd rather see everybody else full and then we'll fill ourselves up. Um, so we help sell the rest of the city. We'd help sell something into the sphere. I'm thrilled um, to have uh, that venue and that opportunity for folks. And if that's where they need to be, it's up to the customers where they go. There was a question on the, the amount of people that come in for Raider games are a lot of times they're largely out of town. What is the modeling for A's baseball, local season tickets versus out of town? Yeah, the, the projection for, for the A's was that we would have 5,000 people at a game uh, who came to Las Vegas because the game was here. Um, it's not really a, a huge number. Um, it, at 81 games, obviously, that turns into 405,000 people. Uh, the projection originally for Allegiant Stadium, which was twice the public investment that um, the baseball stadium was going to be, was 450,000 people. So we, we knew it was worth it at 450,000 at Allegiant. That's turned into about 850,000. Um, so Allegiant is way overperformed uh, what the original modeling uh, included. Um, but the, you know, just baseball at the A's stadium is 405,000 people. Um, what was modeled, and it wasn't our modeling, um, was an additional eight ticketed events. Um, we think that's less than half of what the additional ticket events will be. Um, so that, that is going to be the most efficient uh, investment uh, of public funding that we've provided. We're going to finish right on time. Thank you, commissioners, for showing up to our breakfast. Thank you very much, Steve Hill. Um, thank you, everyone. Thank you to our... Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. Takeaways Podcast is about sharing and paying it forward. If you like this show, please... Make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast, and leave us a review. It really goes a long way. And if you really like the show, please share takeaways with a friend. Thank you and tune in next time.